The Gender Politics Podcast from the Heinrich Böll Foundation. It's about dignity. Every woman wants dignity. Give them the tools, economic tools, to be equal. This is Soraya Al-Khalawi, a Moroccan academic turned filmmaker. Landless Moroccans is her documentary telling the story of a tribe in Rabat. I noticed that women in this community are really strong women and a lot of women struggling and they are in the front of the struggle. I don't think that uh, we have to educate women to liberation. I think that we have to give women the tools to their liberation. That's for me in a huge, huge difference. It's good to focus on economic rights and economic discrimination. In the economic rights, we have the radical change. Radical change, empowerment, equality, give women rights and access to jobs, and the rest takes care of itself. Or does it? It's a common understanding that economic empowerment can lead to gender equality. This podcast looks across the Middle East and North Africa and finds very different answers. If it is production of cheese or jam, okay, let's systematize it. Let's really have it within a corporate framework, compete into markets to become a social enterprise. I can train her, I can change her mindset, build her self-esteem that she has. Empowerment is only something that needs to happen within you. You cannot do economic empowerment for women. You can only allow them or give them the space where they can be empowered themselves. And this is really what feminism is about. It's looking at the reality around you and thinking it can actually be different. And it starts with imagination. Whether you're a feminist, an NGO, government or in the private sector, economic empowerment can mean very different things. There's the contested World Bank approach, giving women access to money with microloans. There's the neoliberal style of some states and corporations with a sort of add women and stir approach where more women equals smart economics with their focus really very much on profit. And then there's those who see political potential in empowerment where power is writ large, a sort of collective approach that wants to disrupt the current system and its power structures that sees economic empowerment as a step towards gender justice. We are used to describe the woman, Arab woman, who is in the house with no power, with, who are not educated. That's true, but we also just erase another important part, her role as a leader in the neighborhood, for example. Soraya Al-Khalawi is now a postdoctoral researcher at Ghent University. But she spent many years with her camera following the Guichloudet, a tribe in the capital of Morocco, who were homeless. They'd been pushed off their collective lands by developers. Women are in the front of every struggle for water and electricity. They mobilize uh, themselves every day, like with the local authority. Now, in Morocco, in the sector of agribusiness, we prefer women as a worker than men, because it's cheap labor and they say that they are more submissive. And now women are privileged for farm works, but in what condition? It's close to slavery, really. They are really not well paid. The condition of works are really bad because of the chemicals that we use. They are not protected, so they are always sick. 
perform. It's about making women like part of the humanity, <laughs> give them economic rights, like real rights. It's about dignity, of course, and every woman wants dignity. Give women their rights, and equality will follow, she says. But not all academics agree. There was an idea or an imagination that once a woman can get a job, then she can be able to transform the power structure. Dina Wahba was at the heart of the women's rights movement in Egypt. She's an academic, activist and feminist, now researching at Berlin's Free University. The general line was to push more women to work, under the impression that if only and when only women work, their life will consequently, automatically, they will get much more rights and their life will automatically be better. Just women working would fix everything. Throughout the years, it proved not so true. We're learning that it's much more difficult than just injecting women into the workforce. It needs more holistic approaches. Going in, it was interesting. I thought that it's all about giving women work. That will fix everything. Jaylan El-Shazli was also born and raised in Egypt. She's now in Berlin and has analysed the success of projects for women's economic empowerment in the global south. They were like, okay, let's give women $300 in like Ethiopia and uh, five-day training on like sewing or like hairdressing or whatever and see what they do. Most of those programs, if you follow them up a few years later, you find that these women are back to where they started. The problem with economic empowerment, it only looks at the resources element, which is let's give her money and, you know, access to different resources programs that look at women from a more holistic perspective. If an economic program comes with a psychosocial component where they support women and support the environment around women, they tend to be more successful, they tend to have more sustained impacts. Jaylan gives me an example from Uganda, where an NGO started out with a plan to offer vocational training to girls. They realised that the biggest deterrent towards them becoming more economically empowered is the early pregnancy and marriage and the lack of uh, sexual education and the lack of community where girls can hang out and meet About 48% of the girls were more likely to be employed like a few years on because it basically looked at the root cause socially of why these women aren't economically empowered. They're very young girls. They get uh, burdened by uh, marriage and, and children very, very early on, unplanned because they lack that awareness. Um, and by fixing such a root cause and looking at the, the social aspects that are preventing them and actually tackling those and not just giving them the skills and telling them, oh, now we've taught you what you need to know. Those together had a very compounded, a very good effect. Simply giving women a space to come together, a community, as they did here in Uganda, can be key. For me, feminism is essentially about women having choices and making their own choices. Dina again from the Free University in Berlin. Empowerment is not something that can be done for you or to you. Empowerment is only something that needs to happen within you, collectively or individually or both. You cannot do economic empowerment for women. You can only allow them or give them the space where they can be empowered themselves. So it's not just about providing income generation, but also providing a space for these women to meet, to discuss, to, to experience solidarity and to work together. And it's about feminist consciousness raising, a space that they can work together to, let's say, get rid of sh the shaming and the stigma of some types of work that uh, women do in the informal sector, for instance. So not just 
work on giving women jobs but also giving providing them with a space where they can come together think together it's about addressing power structures so even from a small unit so addressing power structures in the family to the bigger thing is addressing power structure in society and then in the state as a whole so for dina empowerment comes from within but for the world's large donors they come with a plan to transform women's lives and they bring their own ideas, projects and experts. We only want to support their ideas without really interfering or really channel those ideas so that those ideas go. Rana El-Hujeri manages the UN Women's Fund for Gender Equality. It's like building their capacities, building their skills, building their leadership skills, building their self-esteem before really going and providing them with the tools and maybe with the funding for them to start up their businesses and, and really have sustainable um, income. Rana is piloting a project called Neswa in rural Lebanon. They're grouping hundreds of women together who used to produce at home into four large manufacturing cooperatives and training them in hygiene, marketing and finance. It has a strong business focus. After all, they want the cooperatives to thrive after the donors leave. And then you come as a project with this idea or this mindset of changing their lives so this inter- entrepreneurial model, not only to improve their livelihoods, but also to start becoming business competitors in the market. So it's like a whole you know, shift in the mindset. You empower them economically and it changes also their power relations within the family and within the community. That, that would also maybe provide them with a space to participate at the local levels and even at the national levels to have a more decision-making and decision powers. Rana tells me one of the women on the Nestle project is now running for the municipal council. For that to happen meant getting the whole community on board. The UN team did sessions with mayors and members of the council on gender issues, trying to clear the obstacles for women to not only take on more economic roles, but also greater political responsibility. Often discriminatory laws anchor gender inequality in society. In 18 countries, women require their husbands' permission to get a job, to get a bank account or a loan. Even more states restrict women's rights to property, land or inheritance. So, for example, if we have a father with three children, one is a boy and the two others are girls, and the father passes away... What happens? Mohamed Anwar Zayani is a Tunisian lawyer working for the Association for the Defence of Individual Liberties. Then the boy inherits half of what the father has and the two girls get the other half. And then often the women are pressurised into giving up what they inherit anyway. In post-revolution Tunisia, Section 21 of their new constitution says there should be full equality between men and women. Still, legislation has to catch up. Mohammed says unjust inheritance laws stand in the way of women's economic empowerment. Without capital or autonomous finances, women are often forced to take up informal jobs which are high risk and give them no security. The parallel trade is big in Tunisia. That basically means smuggling goods across the border from Libya and Algeria. And most smugglers are women. Most of the people taking the risks are women, yet they are hardly getting paid. The men are the ones making the big money. If women inherited their fair share, then they wouldn't need to do illegal work in the first place. 
they do these jobs because they have no other choice, because they might not have inherited a piece of land or a decent sum of money to develop their own capital. It's an endless circle of inequality and poverty that doesn't allow women to move forward in life. The Tunisian parliament was expected to vote on a new inheritance law later this year, but after the recent parliamentary and presidential elections, that seems highly unlikely. Laws can change minds. The law for equality in inheritance is not perfect, but it is progress. It doesn't achieve full equality for women in all aspects, but it is a step towards achieving more equality for women. And then there are the more insidious practices which undermine women's economic empowerment and gender equality. The common enemy is corruption, says Marwafa Tafta from Transparency International. It's hard to prove and it makes it a hidden crime. When you talk about cases like that, often you hear, well, that doesn't happen very often. Maybe it's just a story here or there. For every button you open on your blouse, you'll get an extra mark in the course, a professor in Jordan tells a female student and her friends. That's just one of the testimonies Transparency collected. The focus of Marwa's research is sextortion. It's a gendered form of corruption where women are pressured to pay with their bodies. In Tanzania, she tells me, eight women employed at the local court were infected with HIV. The clerk there would only give them their salaries if they slept with him. It makes disadvantaged people more disadvantaged because also it plays on kind of asymmetric power dynamics, just like patriarchy and gender inequality. And the sad thing about this is that because there's no physical violence involved, just the fact that there is a power asymmetry, someone who's higher than you and you need to have your salary... There's someone who's stopping you from evolving as a woman. There's someone who's stopping you from your, your education, your job, your career development. And then you know you have to give in. And that psychological coercion makes it very difficult for women to prove that they have been victim to this kind of corruption. Transparency recently added questions about gender and corruption into their global corruption barometer. The first results from Latin America show that one in five have experienced some form of sextortion. Once we open our eyes to how corruption affects women or how gender can be part of the solution, how we can incorporate in our legislations, then we're slowly getting there. We're slowly getting towards a um, society where there's no tolerance for corruption, that there's more social and gender equality and that uh, citizens have um, equal access to their rights. Our imaginations have really been captured by the dominant systems. And I think for me, a feminist economy is an economy that really puts people's everyday lives and basic needs at the centre. That's Ina Mikaeli, director of programmes at AWID, the Association for Women's Rights in Development. We see what some academics and, and activists have um, started defining as corporate or neoliberal feminism, which is a feminism that takes the economic system as it is, without seeing it as inherently patriarchal, inherently um, unequal, without seeing capitalism as, as something that where inequalities are inherent. We also see growing feminist mobilization that is critical of the neoliberal agenda. Feminist realities are already around us. We experience them in our communities, in our movements. You often have these these visions of where is it that we want to go, of what is it that we are fighting for. 
And sometimes we are also able to create those moments within our everyday experiences. And, and that's what we call feminist realities. These may still be fledgling feminist realities, but Inna wants us to think big and bold. Instead of shoehorning women into our current system, what if we could start from scratch? It's about going against this popular conviction that the market and fans of neoliberalism are trying to sell that the neoliberal model is the only economic model that is viable. So one is really exposing the myth of that, first with being able to imagine different forms of organizing the economy. When we demystify economy and when we say what it's actually about is about having food to eat, clean water to drink, clean air to breathe, and it's about how we relate to each other in society, and it's about how we relate to the natural resources and to the environment. And we can really start building together visions of how we would envision our economy to be organized. And this is really what feminism is about as well, right? It's looking at the reality around you and thinking it can actually be different. And it starts with imagination. Thanks for listening. And we'd love to know what you think too. So do send us your feedback or comments to our email, podcast at bo.de. If you'd like to hear more from the Gender Politics series, you can find the Our Voices, Our Choices podcast on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. And there's more background on the issues you've heard here and much more about the work of the Heinrich Böll Foundation at böll.de.